to the Star of the Ego Feed the Soul podcast. I am Nico Barraza. And today on the show, we have a very special guest. I've been a huge fan of Dr. Caroline Leaf for a long time now, and she just launched her new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Five Simple Scientifically Proven Steps to Reduce Anxiety, Stress, and Toxic Thinking. Now, I'm about halfway through the book now, and I've had the pleasure of having this long conversation with Dr. Leaf and learning a bit more about her and her background. And we get into a whole host of topics from depression, anxiety, uh, how we talk to ourselves as individuals, to dealing with traumatic brain injuries. Um, it's a really amazing conversation that I've had with her, and I can't wait for you guys to listen in. But first, I want to let you all know, we're doing a giveaway. So we want to give away three copies of Dr. Caroline Leaf's book. All you have to do is leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and then send me a screenshot in my DMs on Instagram with your review. We're just going to write the names on a piece of paper and throw them all into a hat, old school. Um, and then we're going to pull three people from the hat and we will mail you a brand new copy of her new book. So that's all you have to do. Um, I'll post about it on Instagram as well too. So people are aware if you've already left the show, a five-star review or a comment, just screenshot that, send that to me in my DMS and you'll be entered as well to win. We really wanted to help Dr. Leaf promote her book and it, it's already phenomenal. I'm halfway through it. it it's an incredible piece of work. So uh, our way of giving back is to get three books in the hands of some of you listeners out there. And I hope you guys really enjoy it. I, th I know you will, in fact. So if you don't know Dr. Leaf's work, she is a communication pathologist and neuroscientist whose passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. She is the author of Switch on Your Brain, Thinking It Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, and Think, Learn, and Succeed among many other books and journal articles and her videos, top-rated podcasts, cleaning up the mental mess, and TV episodes have reached millions globally. She currently does extensive research and teaches at various academic, medical, corporate, and neuroscience conferences, as well as religious institutions around the world. I know for a fact you guys are really going to love this conversation. If you do, consider sharing it with your friends or anyone that you think would benefit from it as well. And without further ado, Dr. Caroline Leaf. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I, uh, oh, thank I'm you. humbled. Yeah, honored because I, I've been a fan of your work for a while now. And oh, thank after, you. You're welcome. And after hearing you on uh, on Mark's podcast a couple of times, I'm like, I, I have to see if she'll come on because I have so many questions, just like I'm sure everybody does. And it's uh, it's an honor to be able to share some time with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor to meet you and be on your podcast. So thank you so much. I like what you do with your podcast. Deep introspection. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> No doubt. I feel like yeah, that is that is sort of your ethos of the of the book, right? To manage our, yeah. our mental mess. And I want to talk about that because we're actually going to do a giveaway uh, for this talk. We we we're going to give away three books to listeners um, and Wonderful. send them to them. Yeah. So I, I'm halfway through your book right now, and I got to say, having read you know books in the mental space for probably the past ten years of my life, this this is up there with one of the best ones because it combines the Thank science you. and the practicality in such a way that, you know, everyday people can, can sort of take away kernels and actually work on themselves with it. And it's not sort of speaking so high up or so down low. It's, it's very digestible and I've, yeah, I've loved it so far. Oh, I'm so pleased. Thank you so much. Have you, so you haven't got to the neurocycle yet because you'll love that. So you not being an yet. athlete and an, and an ex, you know, assistant. I always believe athletes are systems people because you've got to be so organized and so self-regulated. So you'll like the neurocycle because it's very much, and then I talk about exercise too, how we can, don't get your mind right. You can lose up to 80% of the benefit of exercise. So it's like so important. And I want to talk to you about that exact thing, actually. Um, it's, it's funny. So I have, I have so many questions, but maybe we can start yeah, just dive with, in. with just, 
Totally. We, maybe we can start with just a little bit of background yourself for people that you know don't know your history, how you got into neuroscience and how you sort of grown to be who you are today. Absolutely. Well, I began my journey nearly 38 years ago. So it's a long time now that I've been in the field and started off in a very deep clinical sense, working with people with traumatic brain injuries and dementias and Alzheimer's and learning disabilities and autism and severe trauma like war trauma. I worked in war-torn Rwanda and I worked in apartheid Africa, South Africa. And so I got a lot of experience and I was very disillusioned by a lot of the techniques that we were trained in to try and help people clinically. And I remember one of our neuroscience professors and at that stage neuroscience was in its absolute infancy we're talking back in the 80s where they didn't even believe the brain could change um, they understood the mind-brain separation which has fizzled away now and we can talk about that but at that stage they didn't believe the brain could change and I remember uh, one of my first research projects was to actually I showed in my field that, that, neuro, that neuroplasticity actually exists so I did some of the earliest work in neuroplasticity with people with traumatic brain injuries because I wasn't very happy about being told that if someone's got damage to the brain, well, that's it. You just teach them to compensate. It seemed like right. such a negative thing and like such a hopeless thing. And so I just started a whole career of research and I practiced clinically for 25 years. And at the same time to that, I started at the same time as that, I started training physicians. I started training um, professionals educate in education as well and corporates. And I worked across the board and I also worked in very poor economic areas in, in South Africa and um, wherever I could with the objective of, of helping people with their mind, but also to understand the mind. And I didn't want to do research where I brought people into a lab and then it was very, you know, create the scenario kind of situation. I want to do see real people in real life and in all walks of life, uh, from the rich to the poor, to the, you know, war-torn to not war-torn, to just every particular industry to understand mind and the mind-brain connection. So that's what I did. I did a lot of in-the-field research and that uh, that had gave me a nice broad scope on understanding mind, what mind is, what brain is, the difference between the mind and the brain, which is key to my work, the integration, right. the difference in the integration, thoughts, memories, and all that kind of thing. And then the adaptation to, and obviously mental health, is all, go, all goes with it. And watching the trajectory over the last 38 years of mental health moving from being kind of hidden to becoming very much in your face, but as a disease, really right. worried me, really worried me how uh, the unscientific basis of that and then also the terrible impact that it's had on on people that has not been spoken about. So I decided I needed to start speaking about that and also giving people techniques to not just think, well, I have to go to someone in a white coat or with a PhD or who's a doctor to get help. You live with yourself 24-7. You need to, as a human, understand that life is tough. Things happen we all battle with mental health and this is how your mind works and here's something you can do to help you manage your mind which is why i continue to do the research and write the books and cleaning up your mental mess is the most recent with the most updated research so that's a kind of quick walk through 38 years <laughs> and i bet there's so much more nuanced stuff in there and i will say uh one of the things i love the most about how you present this is that you know you really empower an individual to take control of their mental health right and instead of sort of searching outwardly it's how to like focus our energy inwardly to see our patterns and see how we're, you know, responding to negative self-talk or to trauma. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I'm talking to you. I didn't realize you worked with TBI specifically because, uh, so when I was um, transferring from pro running to pro cycling, I was in a horrible bike crash in 2019, oh, gosh. Hit, hit the ground at 39 miles per hour, oh, gosh. I had a severe, severe TBI, and I could barely wow. walk for a couple months. And wow. uh, I'd never had a brain injury since then. So 
it's, it's interesting to talk, to hear you talk about that because when I went to, I saw like 10 different providers, you know, as a pro athlete at the time and everyone was like, well, just stick yourself in a dark room, turn the lights off. Don't have any human connection. You know, don't like, it's your kind of your traditional response to TBI. And, and oh my gosh, it's sort of like, I'm a very, that's, that's it's the opposite, right? That's terrible. That's like the worst right. thing you can do. <laughs> right. I know. And so intuitively I'm like, you know, I'm an introverted person, but I'm also like, I feel like I need a support system. I need people around me that care in this time because I can't take care of myself as opposed to sort of, I went from, you know, riding my bike 40 hours a week to laying on a bed with other injuries and I couldn't get up, you know? Uh, and it's, it, it's just, I, I really love how you bring that up because it's not only for athletes, but for anyone that sustains a brain injury, I never knew what it was like. I was like, oh, it, it just, I, you know, I could, didn't, you don't really have empathy unless you're there. No. And then when you experience one and your life changes, you're like, wow, this is um, the way we're handling this specific injury because we can't see the brain. You know, we can't, it's mm -hmm. not like a broken elbow, a broken arm, like, oh, that's, that hurt. That's hurt. There's a lot of things underlying that are happening that we're not aware of. And if the person can't communicate them, especially if they're out of it, if it's a really recent TBI, it's really hard to navigate that treatment. You know, it's really hard to be there. And I think the biggest thing to me was the support system around me that sort of empowered me to get back on my feet. And if I wouldn't have had that, um, you know, I, I again, a lot of people aren't here after TBIs because they can't handle it. And it's it's sort exactly. of a, right. It's a it's a very um it's a very sharp time for a lot of people in their life, but uh, yeah, I just want to um, really appreciate you for doing that work. No, I'm very glad you brought that up because it's very, it's that, that, I, you know, it always worries me when I hear that kind of, yes, there's a certain amount of rest that your brain has to have. And there right. is a lot of sleep that you'll have to have and things like hyperbaric chambers. And there's all kinds of different things that you can do. But the biggest thing is you do need a support system. So I used to do a lot of family therapy with TBI patients because as you know yourself, the emotional changes that happen are very frightening. And it's, yep. there's a tremendous amount of frustration because everything that you could do now, you suddenly can't do. And in that, in that first 12 months is vital that you do stimulate the brain. There's actually one chapter that you're going to get to it's about brain building and that brain building chapter is one of the first pieces of research that I did in the field uh, with TBI patients working out how to uh, when, when one professor said the brain can't change that back in, in one of my lectures as, as in one of my in my honors degree and I said but I don't agree with that and I so I proceeded to start developing a system where I'd work with TBI patients to help them rebuild their brain using their mind and that system has been basically simplified into this chapter in here that's called building your brain and so that I would really recommend strongly that you that's what I would do with my patients and I got patients that yeah. were written off as vegetables going back to finish mm -hmm. university degrees and change careers and not just one thousands of patients and so yeah so that's a, the, the, you can dive into that immediately because the rest of your life you can actually awesome. you can keep on training your brain and growing your brain and healing your brain so what you do with your mind, your brain just has to obey it. Your brain does what your mind tells it to do. And that's not the message that's been given to a lot of TBI patients at this stage or to anyone. And But that is those are the hardcore facts that if you develop your mind, you're going to change your brain in the right direction. But it's got to be very systematic. I really agree. And I, and I think almost like I changed my perspective on the TBI as opposed to I was changed immediately more so that it just opened a door for me to be, you know, my, my normal was different, you know, and I can yeah. grow from that. And I, I think it's uh, the way people ask me that didn't, that didn't suffer TBI, you know, and they'll be like, well, what is it really like? And I feel like I was just sort of an infant. I just transported immediately to an infant in an adult body. You know, mm. I was like all those things you'd, you'd worked on, you know, for most of your adult life are just gone. And you're sort of just yeah. like this raw, you know, thing in an adult you're body. But um, yeah. 
But you've come back incredibly well. You've you've healed very quickly because the first 12 months are very challenging. So you obviously did a lot of other things as well besides what they told you to do because you've I definitely did. re-stimulated your brain and you've taken charge, which is fantastic. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And and again, I, I had the support system. I have to really, you know, that's, uh, thank yeah, that's people around me. Vital. It's vital. I would train all the parents, the support system, the caregivers, whoever was involved to stimulate, even when the patient was in the bed and, and still in a, in, a, in a really bad state, to still do various programs during the course of the day with stimulation. So to keep, because it's so tempting just to turn the lights off and switch the TV off, but you don't want that. You yeah. actually want to treat the person with a normal cycle in their day and a lot of, you know, put the TV on, sit and chat, read books to that person, you know, that and as you get more and more independent and so on, is to keep those periods of race but you have a lot of stimulation right yeah and, and a lot of the things i want to talk about are not directly related to tbi but they are related to sort of anger depression anxiety these, these yeah. things you focus yeah. on in your book and how we navigate those in our mind and how, how that affects our physiology and therefore how we communicate with other people too but um to start i just really want to read there was two little quotes i pulled out from your book that i absolutely loved because Go i think they it. just set up sort of the the premise of this conversation and so the first is It's time for society to start honoring people's stories and what we're going through, not make us feel like there's something wrong with us if we feel sad or depressed or anxious or that we're abnormal and have failed in some way if we're not happy all the time. Now, I absolutely love that because, again, it empowers the person that's reading to be like, you know, you don't have to have, you know, have come from the perfect family dynamic or the perfect you know, background. We all experience trauma. We all experience these deep emotions. It's really how we're navigating and how we're sort of, you know, utilizing them to create our internal climate, our internal world. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the second one uh, is change requires action and application. This is flipping on me. And both of these are driven by our mind. The state of our mind is in effect how it functions, what determines what and how we absorb, apply and put our action into thinking. I just think those are two beautiful things you've written. And, and the book is filled with this. So guys Thank go you. out and get a copy right now. But that sort of sets up the questions I want to ask you because Perfect. really most of the time, you know, if, if I, you know, talk to anyone in the mental health space and then again, there's, there's brilliant people, but a, a lot of times it's, it's sometimes it's focused on this outward environment. And I really mm-hmm. like how you bring it in and you empower the individual. And if you could speak on that and how that sort of relates to, um, you know, these, the the three different sort of emotions I want to focus on would be, well, for instance, you just released a podcast on kindness and I absolutely loved it. Right. It was, and we can, maybe we can start with that because I've noticed in my own life, let's say I'm suffering from depression or from loneliness, which many of us suffer from. Right. I I think I almost immediately become a less kind, um, more, more reactive and less responsive, as you would say, person. And I think noticing that is really intriguing because my mental space, right, or, or sort of my, my mental mess becomes more cluttered where I have less space for not only for myself to have more compassion for myself when I do something wrong, but for others around me. Absolutely. Well, that's so uh, you want me to talk about the kindness thing or do you want me to talk about sort of just the narrative around mental health or both kind of blend it if, together? If you could- yeah, blend it together if you want. I, maybe we could start with kindness because I just listened to that podcast this morning and I was just like, I had so many things I want to talk to you about. But of course, listening to that, I'm like, oh my God, I want to ask your questions okay, about of this. Of course. Now because well, this is, I just yeah. think it's so important because it's one of our, our it's, 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 it's like I'm, 
at the end of the podcast, I talk about it being like literally a mantle that you should put on. And it's literally as you wake up in the morning, as you are waking up and your all your neurochemistry is transitioning and your mind, because the, the mind-brain connection, we need to talk about that separation in a moment. But there's a whole um, thing that happens when you wake up. And as you are waking up, it's almost like as you are like, waking up say to yourself i'm going to be kind like literally put that on because it shifts all your neurophysiology and sets up the day to be so different you 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 actually prime yourself to introspect with wisdom you prime yourself and one of the things we need in life is a lot of wisdom it also it creates a whole neurophysiological kind of downflow from your brain through your body that is very calming and very healthy and very resilient and so it primes you for the day and it's just one of the most incredible powers to increase your intelligence which people don't realize because in being kind you you tune into yourself you tune into others you tune into situations it's like an eye opener it's like if you can't see and you get a new, new prescription and you put them on and suddenly you can see that's what kindness does it's massively important and I don't think it's spoken about enough and that's why I chose to do that uh, the podcast on there because I just think we're not living in a kind enough society and we, we've become so pro- productivity driven and externally driven which is one of the things you commented on that we aren't being kind enough to ourselves and that so it's kind to ourselves and kind to others and it changes it changes our outlook it changes our view it changes um, we, we get more balance and coherence between the two sides of the brain it changes the con- connectivity between the different structures of the brain which enables you then to introspect on a lower on, on, in, a, in a much deeper way so your, your brain doesn't operate on its own your brain is separate from the mind and I've got some uh, models here and for those that are listening I'm holding up a brain in a skull it's not a real brain but essentially we, we always talk about brain and mind in this current narrative as the same thing but they're not they are very 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 different and so when I talk about putting on kindness that is you you with your mind deciding to actually think and feel and choose to adopt a kind attitude which means that the way that you are gentle with yourself that you're gentle with others that you're very aware of your body language your tone of voice how you use your words in your delivery it doesn't mean you're a doormat it means that your whole composure of your of you as a person is oozing out kindness and they are those are actual waves of energy that will be that are photons that will move from you through your body from your mind through your brain and body and then also out into other people and into the environment around them i mean this is real hardcore gravitational field work quantum physics einstein's work etc and that changes the whole environment of how everything is set up it's it's a diffuser it is a superpower it raises intelligence it accesses wisdom um it will tune you into the situation like i keep saying in, in that you'll you'll see solutions quicker you you just people respond differently to you you'll diffuse situations right. it's and you can say the 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 most direct things but if you do it kindly people receive it you know it's that uh, like telling someone will you please close the door versus if you don't mind, just, you know, close the door. I've said the same thing, but I'm saying it differently. And that's such a simple example. But the first one is going to generate a defense reaction and it's mm-hmm. going to block any kind of connection and tuning in. And it's going to potentially set up a, a, the set the scene for tension, whereas the other does the opposite. And also it affects your brain and body so you don't think as clearly. So that's quite a long answer, but brain and body are totally different. So I don't know if you want me to launch into that and then no. the current mental health narrative. Unless you I want do. to say... And if you want to ask more questions about kindness. No, no, I just, I want to say that that is so uh, brilliant. I feel like a lot of people that that work in sort of the consciousness space allude to this where 
you know, out of kindness and compassion for ourselves, we can have kindness and compassion for others. And I noticed specifically in my own life, you know, when I've been short with a partner or I've been angry with someone, you know, and I snap, just like you said, or I say something super hurtful, you brought that up in your last podcast. Um, a lot of times my biggest issue is not so much owning it and apologizing it is, is sort of, um, judging myself and just like continuously sort of raining down on myself. Cause I'm a hypercritical person as most type a athletes or people that are, you know, very motivated are, and I can stay in my head for months, just sort of making myself feel bad for having made someone else feel bad. And I think that you bring that up where, you know, you can't really be kind to another person, truly be kind until you're kind to yourself. You say that multiple times in that podcast. And I just wanted to highlight that. Um, I love that. And that's something I'm still currently practicing because it's not like a switch you turn on. You have to practice it. You have to it's consciously deliberate. wake up. Yeah, it's a deliberate, intentional decision to wake up and be kind. I wake up in the morning and I make the decision to be kind. I regulate the fact how I'm delivering my information to my family um, and I'm and to myself. I mean, th- th- that kindness to yourself is vital. Like I'm a mom of four, you can get guilty so quickly and you can, and I used to torment myself and be unkind to myself. Now I realize, hey, listen, I know I love my kids. So if I've done something, I can kindly go to them and say, hey, listen, sorry. You know, or I can, but first to myself, it's okay. I tell myself it's okay. It's, and, and that's a huge part of what I teach about the mental health narrative is that depression, anxiety, frustration, irritation, guilt, condemnation, shame, um, psychotic breaks, all of those, the, the, the hearing voices, delusions, the, those extreme, obviously, the, the, all of those, accept them, be kind to yourself. It's okay. They are totally okay because they are responses to situations that are going on in your life, to adverse circumstances. And obviously, the more extreme the response, the more adverse the circumstance. And that's right. where kindness begins. The whole narrative of mental health currently is very unkind. It's unkind to, um, it, it teaches it teaches people to be unkind to each other and it teaches people to be unkind to themselves because you look at yourself, I'm broken. I have a broken brain. I have a neuropsychiatric brain disease, a scary thing that no one's really defining, but just saying right. you've got this broken brain and there's something wrong with you and then you come down harder on yourself and you see those things like depression and anxiety as these bad things. But if you're kind to yourself, you say, okay, that's all right. Yes, you said something horrible. So listen, a million and 10 million other people have said horrible things too. What are you going to do about it? In other words, you give yourself acceptance. You you give yourself the space. You're not allowing, you're not going to say, okay, go and be horrible to everyone. You're saying it's okay. You were horrible. That's okay. Now what are you going to do about it? You're depressed. That's okay. What's the message in the depression? What's the message in the anxiety? What's the message in hearing those voices? It's okay to feel those. Those are responses. That's kind. What's not kind is to say, okay, you've got X symptoms. You've got this diagnosis. You have clinical depression. Here's the medication. Here's the therapy. Why 10 sessions of CBT, you're still not right. There's something wrong with you still. It's all about something wrong with you. It's unkind. And then you get unkind to yourself. And then you get this tremendous negative cycle being set up, which is which is another whole story. And that's that's why we have you, the two quotes you read in the kindness podcast all go around. You as a human are entitled to experience a mess because life is messy and our whole cognitive waking moments but from the time we open our eyes till the time we our conscious cognitive time that we wake from the time we wake up till the time we go to sleep we are in in an experimental state we don't know what's coming up we don't fully know how we're going to respond or exactly what to do that's why we need to be wise and introspective in order to manage the situations and we're going to mess up and it's okay to mess up 
the whole thing is it's not okay to stay in that mess. It's okay. It's actually need, need to manage it. But you can't manage a mess. You can't manage a, a, a mess and a mess in terms of uh, uh, people pleasing or snapping or getting irritated or something if you don't, if you aren't kind to yourself. Kindness says, okay, I messed up. It's cool. It's okay. What am I going to do about it? I feel depressed all day. Okay, no problem. I'm feeling depressed a lot. That's okay. There's a message. Why am I showing up depressed, anxious, frustrated, um, irritated? Why? And that then you can become the thought detective to find out because there's always a reason for how you're showing up in that way. Before we get into the mind-brain sort of connection, right? How, the, how they different, uh, differentiate. I really want to highlight that I feel like everything you just described is sort of the reason we're disconnected from realizing that is kind of responsible for this immense loneliness, especially in Western yes. culture, because we all feel isolated. We feel like if I'm depressed or if I have anxiety or if I have anger or if I've hurt somebody or if I've been hurt, no one else can be experiencing this. Right. And so we isolate ourselves and then loneliness goes through the roof. Right. And I can see that in my own life. Right. And it wasn't until I started to delve into my, my own self to open up, to be vulnerable to certain people to connect because we, I think we connect through our wounds that I was able to sort of lower that level of loneliness and realize that this is very human. This isn't just me. This is very human. I'm having a human experience because I am a human and how I deal with that human experience based on how my mind is, is going to control the rest of the things going on in my, with my body for the most part. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's so spot on. We, we need to recognize, I mean, the isolation thing is massive and, we actually, this, the, the American society is the most individualistic society and we, individualism is the, the exact opposite of a sort of more communal type thing, a more collectivistic nature. And you find, so if you ask someone, for example, there was a study done in Berkeley and there's been a few of these kind of studies done. If you ask someone in the United States, what's the most important thing? They'll talk about their vision, their passion, their goals, their, what they're going to achieve. You know, so it's all about externalized achievement. And you ask someone in, for example, Japan, the same question, they'll talk about the impact on community. And they even see like when they go to, when they work and they join a firm, it's a family, it's for life. You pretty much don't job hop. You pretty much stick with the firm for life. So there's this, this, this deep, meaningful connection coming from Africa. Born in Zim, I was born in Zimbabwe, grew up in South Africa. It's very community oriented. Um, and so it's, it's very, and so the loneliness concept that we, that, that is so prevalent in the United States. And yes, it is becoming a global thing because with technology, we're more connected, but yet, yet less connected than ever before. That quote people use a lot. And so right. that loneliness thing is coming from this thing that I can't be myself. And that's why the first quote you read out was so good because it's, we need to be telling each other stories because yes. we know that we all respond to stories. Story is the most phenomenally powerful way of connecting with other people. We know that we read stories of people and we get, we, that's why we will have movies because it's a story. So, but we, we've kind of disconnected. We can watch it on a movie and maybe listen to it in someone who's a very famous person who's writing a book about their story, but on every day, in, in, in an everyday situation, we need to be sharing our stories. So it's like this. Let's say there's a group of you that get together for dinner and you come to that dinner table and you say something like, Oh, I went to the psychiatrist today and I got this label of clinical depression. I've been put on three different meds and, you know, they said I've got this and this. Everyone kind of pulls back and will automatically create a sense, even though you're there, there's going to be a sense of loneliness because now I am different to you. Meanwhile, I mean, that's the worst thing that we can do. It's contributed to this loneliness epidemic. 
But if, if, if that same person, I cancel that scenario and let's talk about scenario two, you get the person comes and says, hey guys, geez, I had such an awful week this week. I was so depressed and so many things have happened. And I know that why I was depressed because this and this and this and this and this happened and that happened. Everyone leans in because you're telling your story. They have compassion and they'll start saying things like, oh, I'm so sorry. I get that. Listen, something like that happened to me and I felt depressed and you open the floodgates and everyone will share because there isn't anyone on this planet who doesn't have mental health issues and that's one of the other things is that we talk about one in four people have got clinical anxiety one of five one in four people have got clinical depression one in this and it's getting worse in the pandemic and and then there's this fear 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 and then oh brain disease brain disease cancer and it all gets mixed up in this pot of confusion meanwhile 100% of people have got depression. 100% of people battle with anxiety. 100% of people are battling with their mind because you're human. If you're a human, I can guarantee you are battling with your mind in some way. And it's a continuum. As we know, certain times in life, it's worse than other times in life. And obviously, if someone is in a war-torn country, it's worse than in a less war-torn country. Or if you have repeated abuse of some sort, you know, so everyone's got, that's why the individual narrative is so important. But the big T traumas as well as the little things that happen every day need to be managed and recognized as part of our narrative and kindness comes into it listening to each other in that dinner party situation there's kindness there's acceptance there's connection that's healthy but to go the other route is very unhealthy and that other route of labeling which i've watched over the trajectory of my career as it's happened with the discovery of of psychotropic drugs and prozac in the 80s and that and just the whole Mm -hmm. boom in the in the drug market which has which have been scientifically shown not to help they do not help they've made the situation worse they temporarily numb the brain but they don't fix the problem they may give you a bit of relief for a time because they numb the brain but they don't fix the problem the problem is still there but that problem so pre-covid pre the pandemic we already had from that philosophy of moving away from the narrative the mind the humanity and moving towards just brain 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 and everything's about the brain and the neurobiological correlates and and as we advance with neuroscience which we needed to i mean i'm a neuroscientist it's great that knowledge but we forgot about mind not we i didn't i stayed in the mind (laughs) i kept in that in that in that lane but the emphasis now has been predominantly about mind mind, uh, brain 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 and your brain made you do it and your genes so that you've become an avatar you've become this mechanistic avatar and your story doesn't matter all that they're looking for is the symptoms and to treat the symptoms and you take someone's story away from you you're taking 99% of that person away from them because we're not just a brain and a body. We are a unique human with a unique way of perceiving the world and going through unique experiences and we need to talk about them and we need to be kind to each other in listening to them and in that way we we change the narrative of mental health and back to what it should be. I love it. And it just, it just sparked sort of an idea in my mind that it's, it's really called mindfulness for a reason and not brainfulness because brainfulness sounds very heavy. And it sounds like a physical thing, you know, like something you can't really affect. Mindfulness sounds something you can consciously work on. Exactly. And and, and that's exactly what you can do. No, I like that. Yeah. So so that, I mean, if you you talk about the the mind brain connection, that's maybe this is a perfect segue to get into that because your brain is not your mind 
and yet in the current narrative, people talk about my brain, my mind. They're two different things. So mind and brain are completely different. They they separate but inseparable. So they work together. So I've got this other little model here that makes it super easy to understand. So here's this little model. Half his brain fell out and fell somewhere. And I don't know where it is, but he's got half a brain. So anyway, this is the brain and the body, which we can see. We understand that this is the physical. But this isn't everything about you. This is only one to 10% of who you are as a human. And the difference between you and I, Nico, having this discussion and the viewers and listeners and a dead person is our mind. So if we had a dead person here in front of us, they wouldn't be able to take part in what we're doing at the moment, which is this conversation and introspecting and exploring and discussing and thinking of deep things and talking about all these great things because they're dead, because they don't have a mind. So the mind is the difference between being dead and alive so your mind is your aliveness which is a beautiful way of looking at it it's your aliveness it's your ability as you're listening to me now to think about what i'm saying to feel emotions around what i'm saying and to make choices around what i'm saying and that's what mind is mind is those three things mind is our ability to think and to feel and to choose and so when you think you will feel you can't think without feeling and you can't think and feel without choosing so think feel choose think feel choose we're doing that at 400 billion actions per second and faster all day long in response to life and that's our story that's how we do that is our story and the, some of those those experiences in the, in the day are, are adverse so therefore we're going to have an adverse response to just try and cope and then we're going to have some great things happening and over the period of, of our lifespan we're going to have traumatic events that we think feel and choose in response to and we have great things and we have a whole mixture of them but every single experience for us certain point in the womb to where you're at today has been experienced and processed by your mind and then pushed into the brain so the brain and the body are responders they are not generators they can't generate anything if i have a dead brain in my hand now we can stare at it all day it will never produce mind we can put qeeg technology on it fmri spec scans it's not going to do anything because mind is not there so mind is the key factor and mind is how you think feel and choose and think feeling and choosing is a very productive thing it produces something it is an energy force that is literally surrounding the brain and the body. So if you think of if you think of like a little cloud surrounding this little model, it's like a gravitational field. It's these electromagnetic forces. It's a whole um, field and we can use all kinds of science, different types of sciences to explain it. We understand gravity. We understand we're sitting now not floating because of gravity. We're sitting in gravitational right. fields. Well, every human also has the a unique gravitational field that conforms to that human. And Einstein spoke about this in the early 20th century about the photo photoelectric effect and how we emit photons and a dead person doesn't do that so as i'm talking now i'm emitting photons and they they're not bound by space and time so even though you're far away from me in arizona my my photons are coming through technology and literally coming to you because quantum physics shows that there's no space-time dimension so we're impacting each other and that's why if i had to start getting really angry or unkind it would have a negative impact no matter even though you're not physically with me because we're generating that from our this this mind which is this powerful force so on a scientific level the mind is this energy force around and through the brain and the body when you're dead it's gone and on a psychological level it's how you think feel choose so as you listening to me now and as the listeners and viewers are listening now i am speaking all these words and showing all these little models and all these things and we're having a discussion 
or you hearing words, but what's coming out of my mouth are sound waves and electromagnetic light waves. So what you're receiving in the field of your mind are these sound waves and electromagnetic light waves. Then your mind, that then activates the psychological level, which is think, feel, choose, think, feel, choose. That then pushes all this energy through the brain and through the brain and the body. And then that, that interaction of mind and brain creates a um, genetic uh, electrochemical and, and quantum and, and chemical and electromagnetic and genetic response and so what I'm saying is actually becoming protein tree-like structures in your brain you're growing trees in your brain of my words because of your mind so your right. mind is taking this stuff and pushing it through the brain and then this force between the two stimulates a genetic response proteins are made and the little proteins grow into branches and hold the words and the concepts that you're seeing and hearing as vibrations now if you think of a tree very quickly, this is a thought. You build thoughts. So when you think, feel, and choose with your mind, you're going to build thoughts into your brain. So you are all building a thought of this discussion, this mind, brain, mental health, whatever you want to call it. You're building this thought tree into your brain. If you look at a tree, a tree has roots and it has branches. So mm. a thought has roots, which are memories, and branches, which are memories. So a thought is not the same as a memory. A thought is made of memories, root memories, and branch memories. And this is so significant because the root memories are the source. At the moment, the source is me. I'm talking. So I'm giving you all this information and you're growing roots. The tree trunk and the branches are your interpretation, your unique perception of what I'm saying. So this is these branches are filled with all the data that I'm giving you, but from your viewpoint. So it's how you right. think, feel, and choose about this. So source interpretation, then this shows up in your life as how you apply this. Now that's a healthy thought. What happens if it's a toxic experience like um, the pandemic or and the isolation that we're talking about where people are isolated through this whole concept of the way the mental health system is working or isolation that's happened in the pandemic. So there's the, there, that's the root of this toxic tree. Now notice this is a healthy tree. Here's a toxic tree. Healthy thought, toxic thought. The, the source, the roots are always the source. Where does it come from? In this one, I was using my information that I'm giving you as the source. Okay. Mm. So now here, the, the root is always the origin story. Where did it come from? Where did it start? In other words, the experience. So maybe that is the experience of the pandemic and the isolation related to it and everything else and the grief and the loss and the finding, whatever, all the different elements. And each day something is added. And then this, over those are the root memories. Then the, the branch memories are your interpretation, how this has played out in your life, how you see this, how you view this. And then this collectively shows up in your behaviors and your emotions in life, how you are responding, how you are acting as a person. So if, from that perspective, if you look at if you look at mental health or life or humanity, because mental health is just part of life. It's not, it's not some disease. It's not some sickness. Mental health, mental illness. We've got to stop using those terms like they are cancer or diabetes. We've got to start realizing, okay, I'm a human in life. I'm having an experience. My mind is processing this experience into my brain. In this case, it's toxic. In this case, it's healthy. This is okay because my brain and body are wired for love, are wired for survival. Love is survival. This is toxic. This is not okay. This is going to go against the natural design of my brain and my body. So therefore, my survival is threatened in exactly the same way as if a virus enters your body like COVID. It's going to create an immune response in the brain and the body to fight it because that COVID virus is threatening survival. Well, this experience of 
COVID, not the COVID virus. The experience of COVID changing your life is as real as the COVID virus. It's also made of proteins. It's also thoughts of real things in your brain that you have processed with your mind into your brain and collectively the two together have built that into a thought. So your immune system looks at this in the same way as it looks at the COVID virus. Hey, there's a problem here. This threatens survival. I need to get rid of this. So it sends out immune factors, T lymphocytes, B lymphocytes, macrophages. And so we get inflammation in this area. And that then sends a signal from our body and our mind. And collectively, you experience those signals as depression, anxiety, panic attacks, sore heart, um, GI symptoms. In other words, any any kind of, of emotional and physical um, signal is telling you, hey, wake up, pay attention, like your alarm tells you to wake up. In depression, anxiety, panic, um, this mind splitting, whatever, physical pain in your heart, improve, increased GI symptoms, um, tension in your shoulders, whatever, are all signals from the body and the mind saying, wake up, this is threatening your survival, respond. This is Those are warning signals of an underlying cause and you need to be a thought detective to go and dig around your memories over here, your interpretation of the event down to the origin of the event and you need to reconceptualize this and make it work for you, turn it into something that works for you and not against you. And that is like a, <laughs> a Cliff Notes version of everything that I teach and um, I've developed the systems to to help you do that. <laughs> yes. And those systems, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not done with the book, but are in the book from start to finish. Absolutely. Um, I'm sort of cracking in, in into that part. So two questions came up uh, when you were talking is the one thing is, is uh, so you've established the brain to mind connection, how those are different things. Is mind another way of saying consciousness or are those two things still different? Is consciousness just a part of mind and mind Excellent, more? excellent question. So it's a part of mind. So mind, so we know mind is different to brain. So that's clear. Um, so if you look at mind, which is this physics field, gravitational field around and through and on a psychological level, think, feel, choose. It's also mind can also be divided into the conscious mind, which is awake when you're awake and the non-conscious you know in non-conscious mind which is awake 24 7 and the non-conscious mind never stops it's incredibly fast and it's where all your thought trees all from all which are all your experiences from when you were a certain point in the womb to the age you're at now are stored so in our non-conscious mind we have this infinite forest that's kind of wave forms because our mind remember our mind has the 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 characteristics of particles and waves and our brain has the characteristics of physical structures but also goes down to a subatomic level i don't want to get too sciencey but so it's easier to so in the brain your thoughts look like actual trees but in the in the mind your brain your thoughts look like different kind of waveforms and so you actually still when you experience something through your mind and you process it into your brain and build it into your brain you also have a residue or of, of that memory in your mind as well so you're going to have a memory out here and you're going to have the thought tree in there and these are infinite forests so you've got and trillions of, of thoughts that you've been building since conception. I mean, in any one day, we experience 8,000 to 10,000 events, which are translated into our brain, into these thought trees, maybe added to existing thought trees that are, that are of the same concept. Um, and like maybe it's a, it's something at work that you do. And, and you've, and so each day you, as you go to work, you do, you, you add some new information to that 
that thought tree because it's just adding to your experience. But in any one day, we are experiencing eight to 10,000 new events, which we build into our mind and our brain. We also build them into the DNA of our body. So our DNA of our body also reflects of every cell of our body. And we have 37 to 100 trillion cells in our brain and our body. So this is complicated. So on a simple level, your mind, your conscious mind is processing these experiences into the brain as these trees, into the mind as these waves, and into the DNA of the cells. So three places. And that's what the conscious mind is working with the non-conscious mind to do. So the, so the non-conscious mind then is where it's all stored. And it's this dynamic, we call it dynamic self-regulation. It's incredible. It's your intelligence. It's your, it's phenomenally powerful. It's influencing who you are. It's your, it's your nature. It's your nurture. It's your experiences. It's your belief systems. It's everything that, that is you. And at the core of your non-conscious mind is your wise non-conscious mind, which is that inner wisdom that all of us have, that wire for love, inner wisdom, optimism, bias. Um, it's been called many different things, but it's that to, to give you a simple example, if someone comes to ask you for advice and you about a problem in their life and you give them a great answer and you think, wow, that was incredibly wise. Where did that come from? That came from your wise mind. So it's that knowing in your know that this is the right thing to do, but we don't always do it. Or that you may not have your, you may not know the detail, but you know that there's a, you, you, you just know what the right thing is to do. Do you and think we, we all have that? We, we everyone, all, have that all, okay. all humans have that, everyone. Mm-hmm. So what we see in the brain, we see it as being called neurobiologically in the brain and the body. We don't have any structures in the brain or in the body for toxicity, which is very interesting. So in other words, we don't have any structures for this. So we don't have, we often hear about the amygdala for fear. It's been a total misrepresentation. The amygdala is a structure in the brain that happens to be like a perceptual library. It's like a big library with library books in of your perceptions of a situation. And it's wired to healthy perceptions and to managing messy perceptions. So we're all about making a mess, but managing it. We're not about making a mess and staying in the mess. So we, so we're wired to be fixing. We're wired to be moving towards a resolution, if that makes sense. We're not wired, mm-hmm. we, we don't, we're not wired for this. Okay. I'm never going to make a mistake. We make mistakes to learn from it. So I make a mistake to learn. I see my mistake as a learning thing. I see this response was wrong and I manage that response. I, I said something horrible. I self-regulate and, and change that. That's what we're wired for. We're not wired for, oh, I said something wrong. I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible person. Guilt, shame, condemnation, and you never deal with it. That's what you're not wired for. So our wisdom mind is instinctively enabling us to say, okay, you said something horrible. You shouldn't have said that. So how are you going to fix it? That's the wise mind. The wise mind is, I know I should be taking a rest and a break because I'm working too hard, but I'm not doing it. The wise mind's telling you, it's like your co-pilot. So I always explain it like there's a little, you, you're flying through this all this experience, your non-conscious mind, so coming back to the mind division. Consciously, you literally can say, imagine yourself consciously and deliberately being a pilot, flying a helicopter, and then your, your wise mind is the co-pilot. Now, co-pilot is always there to help the pilot. It's kind of like the wise mind. The the pilot's doing the action, so that's your conscious mind. And your co-pilot is also in your conscious mind, but it's your connection to the wise, non-conscious mind. It's the connection to, well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. This is the right way to go. This is the, this is, you know, pay attention to that signal. Maybe do this. So it's the part of us that we know has got the right answers. And we don't always 
directly know those answers, but we know that they're there. We just got to do a bit of digging. That's the introspection part where we know there's a better way, but we don't know the details yet. And it takes a bit of time to get to the detail. So if you visualize the non-conscious mind as being this enormously infinite forest, and in this forest, there's a strip of green trees that goes through the middle. And it's this dark, beautiful, beautiful green trees. That would be the wise mind. And that would be what the co-pilot has direct access to. The messy mind is the pilot and the pilot has more, has, has more direct access to the outside part of the forest, outside the green. And that's all the other green trees that are not a perfect green, but they are a mixture of all these different, look at this, it's got light and dark in it and it's not perfect. These are all our, our experiences of life. So the outside part is our life experiences. The core is who we are and our wisdom are wired for love. The outside part is all the way that we've messily tried to do life. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong and 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 life is a and and the wired for love design listening to the co-pilot the wise mind is okay well let's pay attention to these because these are threatening survival these there's no structure for them so they are like that virus where the immune system is saying no this is not good for you this threatens your survival so we're drawn to the negative not because we are negatively wired which is what we're often told in the media which is totally wrong we are drawn to the negative because it's imbalanced and we need to fix it because it's threatening our survival but if we don't self-regulate we can get stuck in the negative and ruminate and yep. then we start thinking this is the truth because whatever you think about the most will grow so if you are ignoring the co-pilot and you're so caught up with these trees you then are looking at life like this and you're not even seeing this but at any point you can stand back and train yourself to not look at life like this but to actually look at life like this where you stand back and you observe this in a different way i was going to ask that do you do we need to make sure we observe both of them, right? Because because most certainly if we only observe, you know, the healthy uh, plant that you held up that sort of represents our healthy experiences, I feel like we can sort of leave a, a like live a delusional life, right? Where Absolutely. we're not where we're not owning our stuff either. No, no, you need to own your stuff, and that's the whole point yeah. of the the concepts of the neurocycle, the system I developed with, which was initially developed for TBI in a very clinical sense and autism, and then I applied it and and learning disabilities and whatever, all the different um, very deep clinical stuff and with severe trauma. Then I adapted it to a simple system. So it's not a technique. It's not like ACT or CBT or some wellness fad. It is actually the system of how humans can drive the mind to drive the changes in the brain because the brain's always changing and the mind's always changing. So yes, we need to, in order for us to be able to, um, to, to, grow as humans we have to introspect around the to use what i know you like to talk about around the toxic and the healthy so we have to self-regulate so i talk about mind management this whole concept is mind management we need to manage our minds and managing our minds is we need to be in the co-pilot messy mind state and we need to be very consciously and deliberately aware of that so in any one moment like let's say that you're in a conversation and you find yourself being unkind and snappy you your self-regulated mind management process would be to stand back and observe yourself and, and note take note of okay I've actually just said something really nasty I was very snappy I was very unkind and that's what that's that's the, those are the signals that I'm giving and it's having this kind of impact and what should I have done would have been to speak nicely and to say this in a better way and so there I've looked at both I've observed both and then I need to if, if this is a constant pattern in my life if I keep doing that then there's a reason why I'm showing up irritated all the time and snappy and unkind kind and that reason because the way we show up is we never just show up 
We show up for a reason. So if we're showing up unkind and snappy and depressed or whatever, you've, you've got to become a thought detective. You've got to face these things because when you push them down and suppress them, forgetting doesn't fix anything. Suppression doesn't fix anything. They're there, volcanic mode. These are real. They're going to explode in increased depression, increased anxiety, increased frustration because the more you suppress these, the stronger the signals become because the more they suppress, the bigger they get, the more dangerous they are to your survival. So your mind and body are saying, wake up. Depression is not a disease. Depression is saying, wake up, pay attention, look at these, evaluate the toxic issues, and which is the opposite message to what we've been told. We've been told, hey, you have a disease. You know, there's something wrong with you. No, there's not something wrong with you. You're going through something. You're showing up for a reason. There's a reason why you're feeling this depression. And let's help you now unpack this. Let's to be a thought detective and go right from the signal. So yes, you've got to look at this thing. And we see from neuroscience that the minute that you become aware, so here it's, you can't see it, now you can see it. The minute that you say, okay, I need to face the fact that I am very snappy or I am very depressed or I'm very irritable or I'm very anxious or I'm having panic attacks a lot or I'm just generally sad or whatever it is, whatever that pattern is, um, or in a relationship you recognize that you're doing certain things, you need to say, okay, I see I'm doing that. So that's naming the thought. Mm. There's a ton of branches here, which means there's a ton of memories. There's data, there's details in the memories. There's data and details in the memories. So in, as, as soon as I face it, I create a weakened state. So the protein structure of this in the brain, the minute I, with my mind, say, I'm going to face this, I'm going to start recognizing this is a signal and I need to be a thought detective. The minute I do that, these little physical structures in the brain start weakening. The protein bonds weaken, which means that they are malleable and changeable. And now here you are being empowered to face this, embrace it and reconceptualize it. So even though it's going to take you 63 days, which is the time that I've researched that it takes to actually take, create behavior change and habit formation, it doesn't take 21 days. It takes cycles of 21 days and 63 is the minimum group of cycles. So three cycles of 21 with very specific things that you do in each cycle. Uh, the minute that you, so let's say in this moment, you just had an argument. And in this moment, I say, okay, enough. I keep on doing the same thing. In that moment, you've pulled this out. You face the toxic issue. You've weakened it. Already, you've now made 1400 neurophysiological responses work for you instead of against you. However, if you just carried on being unkind and snapping and just pushing it down and not dealing with that issue, you've made 1400 neurophysiological responses work against you. So you've now increased the, uh, the vulnerability of the entire environment of your brain and your body to disease by a factor of 35 to 98%. Now you're wondering why you've got massive problems physically because you're not dealing with your stuff. And that doesn't mean that you have to have guilt because guilt will keep you stuck again. It's just a reality check. It's just the fact that, hey, you're a human. You, you you suppress stuff, the stuff is real, it's there, it's going to mess you up. So you don't have to feel guilty about it, you just have to do something about it. That's, mm. the, that's the facing of the issue and the processing right. of the issue. So it's a very different narrative to what we've been told. 100%. And it, it's, it's brilliant. It makes perfect sense to me. And it's sort of where I've come to, you know, um, in my current life, but it, it took sort of years of asking myself that question on like, you know, why am I feeling like this? You know, like, what, yeah. what for my Curiosity. past coming up? And I, Exactly. I really love when people approach it with curiosity as opposed to judgment, you know, because we can take exactly. either road. 
And we should That's be curious very about good, it. Yeah. Curious versus judgment. And we've been trained to be judgment. If you've been told you have a neuropsychiatric brain disease or you have a mental health disease, that is if that is affecting everything about who you are as a human. That is like right. stabbing you in the heart and saying you're a defective human. That is so demoralizing. And that's why I have such a problem with the current mental health system. And that is why we're seeing the statistics that we are, because they, this, this model of doing that, what I've just described, that's so bad, this labeling thing started in the, in, as I said, the, it's sort of late eighties, early nineties. They started doing a population study in the mid nineties. And you, you would have read that in the beginning of the book. By 2014, they had established federal data showed that the decades long trend of people living longer had reversed, has reversed, not had, has reversed. And right. people are now dying eight to 25 years younger than they used to. Then they used to, for decades, we've been living longer. So we now live in an era of advanced medicine, advanced technology, advanced neuroscience, yet people are dying eight to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle issues. That is shocking. That means mind. Lifestyle means mind. My lifestyle is how I live my life. It's what I eat. It's my exercise. It's how I'm managing the arguments day to day, the day to day mm. stuff, the big traumas. That is all lifestyle and that is mind driven. We're not paying attention to the mind. You ignore the mind, people will die younger. The statistics are there. I find it so interesting that in a world that we've built with, you know, this instant connectivity through social media that our life expectancy is lowering. And I think that really speaks sort of mountains to the idea that we are really not as connected as we think exactly you know, via Instagram or TikTok. And these are tools and the way we're in which we're interacting and using them sort of depict our mental health and our mental space too, because, yeah. you know, for instance, following people like yourself, like Mark Groves, you know, this is a, th these people are building a community of authenticity, of vulnerability, of openness, yeah. of empowerment. And I think that's, that's beautiful, but then you can go down the opposite rabbit hole, uh, which I say is probably more of the majority and really sort of find yourself living this inauthentic, very facade based life on who, who do I show people I am versus what is my deep self. And I, and I talk about this a lot on this show, mm. sort of the separation between the surface self and the deep self, which I yeah. think is really sort of your, you know, my wheelhouse. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Who you think you should be in society versus who you really are and sort mm -hmm. of our ability to close that gap is our ability to become mindful to sort of clean up that that space in between those two is, is pretty much our mental mess in its entirety. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And sort of cleaning that up brings the surface and the deep self together so we can be who we are in every situation and own our stuff, be aware, but also not sort of cascade into depression or anxiety. Uh, because we've made a mistake or we've hurt exactly somebody. and also accepting that depression you're going to still feel depression and anxiety and you're going to feel bad for hurting that person so it's yeah. not a matter of feeling bad because you feel bad or bad because you feel depression or bad because now you think oh gosh there's something wrong with me i'm a broken brain and you're like your humanity is challenged your your identity becomes challenged you, you don't want that what you want to do is you want to be able to say okay i'm depressed what is what is the message it's a helpful message i showed that in my research that that, that my, in my clinical, most recent clinical trials, and I've done this over the years as well, I've shown this, and a, a recent study came out of um, Texas University and T University of Japan talking about the same thing, that the way we view these signals is vital to our management of the signals, and our management of the signals is what we're supposed to be doing. Self-regulated mind management is the term I've basically used, but it's basically, it goes, it's mindfulness and beyond. It's the, it's, because mindfulness is, is, is in the terms of the definition of the current 
own use of mindfulness. It is mindfully aware of who I am in the moment in an unjudgmental way. But that's not enough. You have to go beyond that. You have to go from I'm mindful, I'm aware, and then you have to go, so well, mindful, you have to move progress from mindful to awareness, and, and then you have to gather awareness. So gather implies that you're doing something. There's this action component. So I talk a lot in the book about going beyond mindfulness. It starts at mindfulness and you've got to go beyond. We've offered a lot of solutions in this day and age where it's, okay, you're battling with stress, do meditation. That is not enough. And for some people, it can be actually quite destructive because things can come up that you don't know how to deal with them and, and you get you get stuck in a place where you bring something up through the meditation, then you shove it back down. Well, it's going to go back down and be suppressed. It's not going to go away. So, And you can't live in a meditative state all day long. You have to also work and live and be a human. So you have to use meditation. I'm not anti-meditation. I'm just anti-how it's used incorrectly. And it's been, it's been taken out of its original context so much in the Western philosophy anyway that we need to look back at meditation in its whole context and use it as brain preparation as opposed mm. to the solution. It really prepares your brain and your body, but then you have to do the actual work. You have to go beyond meditation. It's training meditation. versus game day, right? Yes, it's like your, yes. it's, it's, it's your workout it's versus, versus you have to day. perform. Yeah. Exactly, it's for So I training versus game, yeah, I love that. So game day then would be the neurocycle where you actually then go through the process of actively, the system of actually, what do I do now? I'm aware, I'm now I'm mindful. How do I now go beyond? What do I do with what I'm mindful of? Because you can't just shove it back. You have to do something with it. Totally. I find, especially in the US, we sort of glamorize uh, mindfulness meditation, things like yoga, and we, we've kind of drifted away from where they were really created and what they were really created for, yes, which was definitely. to connect to ourselves and to connect to others and to build community. Exactly. And now it's, it's, it's sort of turned into elitism, like, oh, well, I meditate every morning for 20 minutes. What's well, like a band-aid. Um, it's become a band-aid. As my one friend says, it's like a band-aid on a bullet wound. Completely agree. And, yeah. and having practiced meditation my own self, I have to constantly revisit like, am I just practicing this to say I've meditated today or am I actually getting what I should be getting out of it, which is more space to be more kind to myself and to others today? Exactly. To get into that kindness zone and then to recognize the patterns in your life and work. And that's where the system that I've developed called the, that I've called the neurocycle to make it super easy for people to grasp. It's a system, not a technique, as I said. And it's basically how you systematically get your messy mind to listen to your wise mind and become a thought detective and pay attention to that depression, anxiety, whatever the physical mental signals are and unpack why you feel like that. And you do those five steps literally daily. Take a 15 minute block in your day, 15, 45 minutes max. And we should do this a lot. Like you clean your teeth every day. You should neurocycle every day. It's literally your mind works anyway. You, you never, your mind never stops. You wake up with your mind. You go to bed with your mind. You eat with your mind. You exercise with your mind. You talk with your mind. Your mind never stops. So if you don't manage it, it's, it just becomes one big mess. And a messy mind means messy brain and body and messy life. But if you manage your mind, then you catch the messes and fix it. And you then grow from that experience because messiness will lead to repair and growth, repair, messy, repair, grow, messy, repair, grow. But an unmanaged mind is mess, 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 and maybe a bit of growth in between, which leads to heightened levels of anxiety and depression because we're not supposed to be doing that. So if we, if we, uh, train ourselves to be very systematic, very, like you as you don't become a professional athlete without very systematic, regulated training on a daily basis. Mind is the same thing. You have to spend, allocate, and this is what I'm trying to get everyone to do. 
take a 15 minute block in your day, 15 to 45 minutes and neurocycle, go through the five steps and train your mind to listen to the, your wise, your messy mind to listen to the wise mind and whatever you do with your mind then changes the structure of your brain. So you redesigning your brain, you're actually changing the structure of your brain on a daily basis. And the more you do it, the more you then become a pro at that. You can become a pro mind athlete. Then when you're in an acute traumatic situation where you have to respond quickly, you'll draw on your wise mind immediately because you've proactively trained yourself to operate in that way. But if you've trained yourself to be messy, then you're in a, an acute situation, you're going to have a messy response. So it's all, it's malleable. We should be training our kids from very young. My kids, are, I've got four adult kids. They've been doing this since they were babies. As I've developed and learned new things, they've been my little lab rats and my husband and myself and whatever. But I mean, this is something we should be doing all the time. And we understand it when it comes to exercise and sport, but we don't understand it when it comes to mind. And we just want to do quick fixes, you know, like go do a bit of meditation and go do a little five-step technique. This is not a little five-step technique. This is a lifestyle process. And in the second part of the book, I explain exactly how to do it with tons of examples and how to apply it for brain building, for things like, you know, every day we should brain build. And that, that also helps with the TBI and how to deal with the big traumas and the little traumas and the toxic bad habits and also building new good habits and then dealing with the little in the moment stuff. Like you read something on, on social media, it makes you feel isolated because you feel like you're the only one not doing that. And immediately there's this, this tremendous surge of loneliness, which affects every system of your body. Well, you can do a neurocycle. You can say, okay, I'm feeling like this. Gather awareness. Here are the five steps. You gather awareness, you reflect, you write, you recheck, and you act, and do active reach. So you med- immediately gather awareness. Gather. Now listen to the word gather. Gather means I am in control. I regulate. I'm mind managing. I'm saying it's okay to feel the surge of loneliness that I'm feeling looking at the social media thing because I feel left out. So you're doing that. You're actually saying it's okay. You're giving yourself permission. You're seeing it as helpful. So instead of seeing, seeing that surge of loneliness as bad, you say, okay, this is helpful. What is this telling me? And then you grab that. You gather it and you say, okay, let me gather. Let me unpack this. Let me gather the emotional warning signals linked to the surge of loneliness. It makes me feel depressed. It makes me feel isolated. It makes me feel a bit anxious. It makes me feel fear. Um, what are your behavioral symptoms? I'm feeling tension in my shoulders. I've got a sore heart. Um, what are your behaviors? I'm, I'm feeling um, unkind towards myself. I'm, I'm withdrawing from others. I'm feeling um, imposter syndrome, whatever. And then your perspective. Well, I'm not good enough. People don't like me. I don't have value. Together, when so it's like like literally picking apples and putting them in your basket. Then you go to the next step, and each of those is forcing the two sides of the brain to work together, increasing what we call alpha, beta, delta, gamma, theta balance across two sides of the brain, increasing blood flow, increasing oxygen. I give lots of examples in the book and graphs and images and things. And then you so each step has been systematically worked out to get increased mind brain integration in a way that works for you and not against you, taking you deeper and deeper and deeper and more introspective and then you would basically reflect which is ask answer discuss ask answer discuss you would then write down in the form of a metacog which is a system I've developed that looks like a tree literally and enables you to really pour your thoughts and dig deep and pull the two sides of the brain together it's phenomenal how drag drag stuff up it's very messy but it's supposed to be messy and then you go to step four which is also a right step where you organize this mess to find patterns and activators and so on and antidotes 
and then you summarize the whole thing with a little action. And this you do in one time period. So if you're doing it for 15 minutes, you time yourself three minutes per step and then you finish the day or Mac, you can go up to 45 minutes if you want to. And then tomorrow, you won't solve it all today, but then tomorrow you pick up where you left off. So you work on one thought of maybe this imposter syndrome that keeps coming up every time you look at social media and it's making you lose a lot of self-worth. So this is no self-worth because of imposter syndrome. Why do I feel like this? It'll take you 21 days to unpack this tree and deconstruct it, get it out by its roots. Like if you want to root, take weeds out of a, of a garden, you don't chop the head off. They're going to come back. You have to literally upend them. You have to get them out and you have to put so that they die. And then it takes 21 days to do that and to reconceptualize this, this into what you can manage to make it work for you, to see it differently. And then that's only a little tree. So it's not going to change behavior yet. You've done the work of creating the new reconceptualized thought, but now you've got to give it enough energy because it's competing with trillions of other thoughts in your non-conscious mind, which we spoke about earlier on. So you're not, you're going to get those, that thought into your conscious mind. And how do you get it there? It's got to go through the subconscious mind. So the subconscious mind is the bridge between the non-conscious and the conscious. So in order to do that, you have to practice using this for another 63, 62 days. I mean, 42 days to get to day 63. It's only at, <clears throat> at day 63 that this is strong enough to, to become a habit and a habit then will impact behavior change. And that's huge. So we think right. people give up and they think, oh, well, I can't change. You haven't gone for 63 days. You haven't followed the system. So it's a vehicle. The neurocycle, that is the, which is the five steps, is a vehicle within which you can apply all these other principles. You can put meditation and, and all these things into that. And I explain exactly how to do that in the book. But if you don't have the system in place, you're not going to be able to. It's like the delivery system of, of, of um, the US, USPS or um, Amazon. There's a, there's a system. And then right. there's all kinds of stuff that, that is delivered through the system. The neurocycle is the system. It's the Amazon system. And you can add whatever you're working on into that system to get it delivered into your life. There's a simple so example. The logistical plan to healing, you know, healing exactly. yourself literally, to dealing with literally. your stuff, right? I, I really like how you, and I appreciate how you bring up like, you know, the 15 to 45 <laughs> minutes a day, because I think part of the problem in our Western culture is that people want an instant fix. You know, exactly. they want to deal with 30 or 40 years of trauma with a pill or with CBT or something. They doesn't want to go work. to therapy once and it doesn't work. Exactly. No. And that's you know my experience no. too. It's um, you really have to prioritize your mental health and cleaning up your mental mess. You know, exactly. the well, with the neurocycle, CBT and ACT techniques and any of those, those psychodynamic techniques fit into step four and step five. So I'm not saying throw them out, but I'm saying put them into not. the, put, do them in the right way. Otherwise yes. you're putting a bandaid on a wound. And, and, it, and I love how you bring that up because it's sort of like working out one muscle group without your entire body. Like you have exactly. an entire posterior chain that goes up to your neck, to your glutes, to your back. And you need all these different tools because we've invented some beautiful things as humans to help us heal and to help us navigate life. And I really think we should use all of them. And this is sort of what Fine, we're talking for you. about. Yeah, find yeah. what works for you, but put it in the system that actually is the correct mind-brain integration system so that you can get the best out of it, so that it enhances your therapy, enhances your life. You're living with yourself 24-7, so this is how you can do that. I love it. One of the last things I want to talk about, because I know you're a very busy person. And again, I'm, I'm yeah, so thank you. I've got another interview in a few minutes. So I've got, I can answer one more question. Sorry. I <laughs> to totally. No, no problem at all. Um, but you brought up uh, love is survival. 
And I really think that relates to building community, right? And I think a lot Absolutely. of times on this podcast, I, I talk about that and building authentic community. Can you talk about that love is survival for a second before you have to go? Yeah, absolutely. So um, coming back to earlier on, uh, we, what we found is that there's no structure, no neurobi- neurobiological part of our body. There's no cell or structural system that's designed for toxicity. So when we are have a virus, our body fights it. When there's a biological, if there's a bacteria, our body fights it. If there's an injury, our body fights it to try and heal. So that's that's the, that's the concept. And scientists talk about the, the brain and the body as being wired for love. Then we see when we talk about the mind, which is this literally this cloud that we spoke about earlier on that is this aliveness that moves through the brain and the body and around the brain and the body that is it has an optimism bias so we see that um, from quantum physics experiments for example when someone's operating in kindness you can pick up the waveform is like a very gentle waveform which means that the the electromagnetic field is in a very gentle waveform and people feel different versus someone who's yelling and angry the waveform is different so there's a, there's a lot of physical um proof that we um, that when we are in a toxic state um, our survival is threatened things start breaking down so when we in any kind of toxic wave or uh, virus bacteria toxic thought all of that is basically causing brain damage body damage mind damage and that means we are going to die younger we're going because we are increasing our vulnerability to disease by that 35 to 98 percent factor so by operating in love and that is simply that's why I say cleaning up your mental mess. The operating in love and kindness to yourself is saying, okay, I've made the mess. I am depressed, like I've been saying all along. Um, not saying, oh, this is bad, this is terrible, I can't, I've got the neurological brain disease, or I've got cancer, all this. It's actually saying, it's okay, so my body's got cancer, so my mind's depressed, let me see why I'm like this, how can I manage this, how can I manage this mess in my mind, this 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 disease that's in my body, how can I get my mind in the best state so that my mind is is sending strong healing waves through the body to be able to fight the cancer, to, to make sure that the medication works for the cancer, or that kind of stuff. So that's it's, it's it's getting it's 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 operating it's being drawn to the negative recognizing it as an imbalance to fix it not to be frightened of it if i'm frightened of something i'm going to run from it or i'm going to try and pretend it doesn't exist i'm going to suppress it so i'm saying embrace embrace whatever's going on in your life that's your wired for love mode embrace it because you it's threatening your survival and if you don't embrace it it's going to control you by embracing it i now control it so now i can work for survival because i'm controlling it that's my pathway to empowerment does that make sense amazing makes perfect sense to me so guys dr caroline leaf's new book cleaning up your mental mess five simple scientifically proven steps to reduce anxiety stress and toxic thinking i'll link to the amazon link and the audible in the show notes um dr leaf where can people find you uh if they just found out about you through this podcast dr caroline leaf on my all my social media handles instagram is great because from there you can get to everything as you know and drleaf.com is my webpage. the book's available wherever books are sold i have a podcast cleaning up your mental mess same title as the book so there's lots of places where they can get hold of um, information awesome thank you so much for coming on i highly recommend people go follow this woman she's doing brilliant things and it's been thank lovely you. to chat with you and share some time with you today so thank you Thank you, Nika. I've really enjoyed it. I loved our conversation. It was deep and meaningful. So thank you.